0: You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.
1: Anyway, um, so I just, I'll just i tell you a little bit about my journey as to how I kind of started to explore the Bible in a slightly different way. Um, a few years back... I was a youth worker for my church out in Midsummer Norton, which, as you know, is the epicentre of progressive culture. And um, I was working with around 100 or so children uh, and young people, and I loved what I did, and it was all the rest of it. But I kept coming back to these words in the scripture, which were starting to really nag me. Um, And it was particularly one verse, James 1.27, and it said this, um, religion that our father finds uh, faultless, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, is basically looking after widows and orphans in their distress. And God was starting to put something on my heart about what it looks like to look after the one, to go after the sheep which is entirely lost. You know, Jesus spoke about the 99 sheep which were well looked after. But what about the one that was out on the perimeter, it was out in the wild, who desperately needed saving and loving and coming alongside? And alongside that, I was also being struck by the, the kind of overall uh, challenge about hospitality in the Bible. And I noticed all the way through, particularly the Gospels, but you do you see it in the Old Testament as well, in a bunch of different places, the hospitality when it was offered would often be a game changer for people that encountered the divine. And there was another aspect to that as well, which was the fact that actually God often wouldn't reveal himself to people until hospitality was offered. And I was challenged by a lady who was the head of Redcliffe College, which is a missional college up in Gloucestershire. She said, I think in our generation that it is possible that God won't reveal himself until we stare into the eyes of the vulnerable. And I was like, whoa. Whoa. What does that mean in my life? And so I started to drill down these ideas and looking at things like the book of Amos where you know, God would get really upset about social justice issues and about true worship. And I was thinking, what does that look like in my life? What does that look like for me and for my family? And that's where I started drilling down into where vulnerable kids could be served.
0: We'll come on to the work of Home for Good in a bit and what you do and how that plays out. Um, Obviously, social justice is is really high on the agenda for us at Oasis. um, And there have been so many inspiring characters in the past. You're not allowed to give the answer of Jesus, okay, to this one. Okay, (laughs) just preempt that one. Okay, um, who would you say has been an inspiration to you, a sort of figure that's been an inspiration to you in the past?
1: Yeah. I think one of the one of the key people for me was actually a, was the was a local guy. He was George Muller in in Bristol. Um, you actually look at the the life of that that guy in his really, you know, early life, he was a bit of a scoundrel and a bit of a it was a bit of a player, um, and then God really spoke to him one day about coming around kids that needed loving homes, or they needed a loving situation at the time in Bristol. And I don't know, has anyone ever been to the museum over there? No, it's well worth a look. Where is um, it? It's Where is the museum um, in Bristol. Whereabouts is it? I think it's kind of it's towards the north up by kind of Clifton Way. Okay, but it's it literally the guy looked after thousands of children, and he did it all by faith. He never asked for donations off of anyone. So I was thinking, well, if he could do it, back in 1800, there was no social, was kind of social care actually in place. Wow, what a guy. And he did it, all, you know, he just listened to Jesus and he took children after children after children. And it's been a huge thing now. Um, and you, can see, yeah, you can see it in history.
0: Excellent, thank you. Well, that leads us nicely onto what you do um, and your work and your, the organisation you're, you're part of. Um, we've got a video um, to play which just introduces Home for Good. One of the questions that came for me was um, that statistic that's on that video. Every 15 minutes, a child comes into care in the UK. Yeah, That's a staggering statistic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a reality. <laughs>
0: yeah, Yeah. And that really impacts what Home for Good is about. I mean, Tell us a little bit about Home for Good.
1: Yeah, so essentially Home for Good was born out of that recognition of this is a very real social justice issue in the UK. We've got thousands of children who are waiting for loving homes. Um, and when Home for Good came about, it was, well, what's the church doing about that? Like, Where, where are we being intentional around this? Where are we fundamentally pushing into this as a... As a thing when we read things like James 127. Where, what are we doing around that? And so that's where Home for Good was kind of born. And it came from a very practical place as well. What if one family in every church in the UK stepped up to become a foster carer or to become an adopter? And then, just like the old African proverb, what if the village came around that family? Because a village brings up a child, don't they? So as a a church community, what would it look like for that church to come around that one family to then support the kid who had come into that family? And so we saw that as a very real and doable thing. At the time, there were 15,000 kids that were waiting for a loving home. There's at least 15,000 churches. What if in this generation, we could be the generation that stepped up and said, no kids were waiting for a loving home? And that is still very much the heart of Home for Good. That is what we are looking for. We are looking for, the, for believers to step up and say, we want to take that kid in and we want you as a family to journey with us
0: on, uh, in that. Yeah. And what's your journey with this? How did you come to be part of this?
1: Yeah, so kind of building on that story a little bit of me being drawn towards the one kid. I um, went to my wife after a little while and I said, I think God might be saying something about us fostering. And she was like, "Yes." Now, one of the reasons she wanted to do fostering was because she's a therapist who works with foster and adoptive children, and she never wanted to tell people uh, what to do inside their situation without knowing about it herself. You know, actually having journey. You know, sometimes you need to see the whites of people's eyes. But also, we knew that as a family, we could do this. We had two young children: Noah, who's four. He was four at the time. He's massive now. He's sixteen. Um, he eats more than I do. Um, and uh, Hope was two or eighteen months. But we started on this journey because we felt like it was right. Um, And our first foster placement was with a young lady called Lisa. Um, And she was 11 years old when she moved in with us. And um, we were her fourth foster placement by the age of 11. She'd been split up from all of her siblings, um, even though she'd started care inside that. She was massively, massively dissociative. She had experienced all kinds of horrendous trauma inside her life but she came to us and we thought do you know what we'll see if we can do this we'll see if we can do this stuff that we've been talking about we see whether we can do this idea of a loving family to a kid who most desperately needs it and for the next three and a half years it was tricky (laughs) amazing amazing incredibly rewarding and she would give us a little bit and she would then go, oh no, I remember, I'm not worth loving and she would kind of kick back against us. And she would come to church with us every week and the youth leaders would come around to this stuff that I was talking about, of extended village and family um, people would ask after her, ask what's going on in her day, when we were kind of on our knees, people would take her out for bowling or cinema, or a couple of people became overnight carers and stuff like that, and we managed that three and a half years, even though she was meant to be a long-term placement. But after three and a half years, unfortunately, some of her behaviors meant that it got too unsafe for her to stay in our family, and she had to leave. And I was like, "Man, God, this was your idea." Right? You were meant to be helping us with this. We're, you know, I really felt like we'd lost a, a daughter. My kids had lost a sister. Really struggled with that. And church kind of came around us and loved us. And she went into some other foster placements in a bit of free fall and that. We didn't know if we were going to see her again. It was tricky. It was really tricky. But knowing full well that we really felt called to this thing. Anyway, a year later, I'm stood in church and I'm chatting with a friend. And I feel these two little arms come around me. And I turn around and there she is. And uh, she says, I I said, where where have you been? Like, what's been going on? And she tells me about this kind of roller coaster that she's had. And how, yeah, how tricky things have been. Um, And then she tells me about another foster placement that she's been put into, oddly enough, with a vicar and his wife. I think the divine had it in for her right from the get-go. Um... And she didn't miss a Sunday coming to church from that point for about 18 months. And I didn't know it, but after about 18 months, she'd gone to her old youth leader, the one that she'd met when she was 11, and she said, I think this God is interested in me, and I want to be baptised. And so I stood in church as a complete mess one day, while she looked out into the congregation and said, it was because... Excuse me this is years ago and I still got upset it's cuz you didn't give up on me it's cuz you love me it's cuz you fed me it's cuz you lo- you know you came around me it's cuz you didn't judge me for my behavior and she accepted and loved this community that I kind of come around her and so for me that was a really beautiful example of what it looks like to do this stuff well. Um, and periodically she'll come on tour with me now when I'm doing this stuff, and she's like, you know, we need you, even though we might push against you. We don't believe that we're worth loving. We go through all these really difficult things, but actually we so need loving homes and we need people to believe in us. Um, and so that's why I'm particularly passionate about challenging the church on this, but it comes from that place of where Lisa was in our life, And uh, about a year ago, I had this grainy text come through to my phone. She's in her 20s now, right? Um, And I couldn't quite work it out other than the fact that it was like some kind of document. Um, And then I realised that it was a change of name and she changed her surname to Kingswood just by herself. That's how much she identified with us as a family. And so she's, you know, even though she doesn't live around here anymore, which otherwise she'd be sat with me... um, we still regard her as one of our daughters, you know, she's part of family. And again, for me, that just fits so well with the way that Jesus and God speaks about the way things should
0: be. I mean, you've spoken very honestly there about the ups and the downs, the highs and right. the lows. Um, there are you know, times when you know, it's, it's clearly been a challenge Yeah. Um, and the community around you's clearly helped with that. Yeah. Uh, the church community around you has clearly helped with that. Um, and then there have been times of delight as well. and And, and those sort of, Contrast between the two, yeah. quite significant, I guess. Um, some people might have experience of fostering here, and it'd be interesting when you when you um, write the questions, if you if you identify um, with that, with that, then then do please put it on the on the on the post-it notes, and we'll we'll um, mm. include that in our in our conversation. Um, what about locally in Bath or in in the sort of Baines area? Um, what's the need like round here, and, and how? Yeah.
1: So it might just be helpful for me to say what I do for Home for Good as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm the uh, project worker in the in the Baines area in the Bath and North East Somerset area. So as we kind of campaign across the whole of the UK, um, this is my little spot. This is my backyard. Um, and so I work directly with uh, Baines Council. In fact, they they pay part of my role. So anyone who's thinking the local authority doesn't want Christian carers, not only do they want you, but they're they're really wanting you. Like They're actually involving Home for Good inside that as well. Um, in terms of a local need, um, at the in fact, I just had this yesterday, and it still breaks my heart because one kid is too many, even though this is probably one of the best statistics in the UK. We currently need um, homes for 21 children in, in Bath and North East Somerset. Now, most of those will be in the city. It is also important to say that that isn't only one kind of fostering. It's not just you signing up for the next 10 years. It's not only long-term fostering. Some of these are um, short break. Some of them are longer. Some of them are for for, uh, children who are uh, unaccompanied asylum seekers, so kids that have made their way to the UK from most unimaginably difficult um, circumstances um, and have just been dumped, and they're having to figure out what, it, you know, what goes on with that. Um, children with additional needs who actually are living with their families but um, uh, just need regular breaks. There's, a, there's loads and loads of different ways of getting involved in all kinds of fostering. But nevertheless, I think it's important just as we think about this in terms of the very human social justice response. As we speak, there are 21 kids who don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't know what their home is going to look like tomorrow. And I think that should break our hearts a little
0: bit. Not everybody's going to be in a position to be able to foster. Yeah. Uh, it might be due to space. It might be due to um, family commitments or, or, or t- just basic situation. What can people do if they're not in a position to be able to foster? Is there something that we can do as a church? Is there something that individuals can do?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of different ways that you could get involved. So... One of them could be actually if what if some of if, imagine if one of you are, is going to become a foster carer to build that network around that fa- you know that family just as I've said you know I know that we wouldn't have managed the ten years of fostering that we eventually did if it wasn't for our church family so if you know people who are foster carers or adopters and actually are going through stuff with their kids or just need that loving support or you just want to do family and relationship with them be really intentional about that stuff and you could do it in a way which is you could be the what I call the 3 a.m guy you know where you're gonna get that phone call right in the middle of the night going ah, I need help with this through to the person that just says look I made you a lasagna dude I think you need this like <laughs> you know everything belongs and everything in between it could be the case that you financially support home for good that's another really good way of kind of helping us kind of get stuck in more and more, not only across the the region, but across our, our nation. It could be the case that you say, I would love to come alongside kids that are in care and offer something to the council. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to, you know, if there's anything particular or unique that anyone feels like they could offer or feel that God is actually speaking into. Sometimes I've had a conversation recently where someone said, I'm a gardener and I would just love to spend some time with a kid who I could maybe just mentor. Um, So I'm figuring out that, you know, see if we can figure out that. But because we're tied in with the local authority, it means that we can do this stuff really well, you know, and come alongside kids that so desperately need it, yeah.
0: We're going to take a 10-minute break um, and it's an opportunity to refill your tea and coffee which is important um, and uh, also an opportunity to look at the display at the back as well um, and some of the literature which um, Dave's brought with him um, so do feel free to do that in the break and also at the end as well um, and um, the post-it notes on your table do please write down questions that you have or any thoughts that you have. It might be uh, practical things. It might be about how we can physically help uh, either on an individual level or on a church level. Uh, it might be questions about um, this whole topic of rethinking the Bible and how our rethinking of the Bible and how we how we interpret the Bible um, leads us down this path of social justice, which is obviously very um, uh, important to the work of Home for Good and also very important to the work of Oasis as well. So it might be questions around that. Um, but have a think about questions that you'd like to ask, um, we'll take a break for 10 minutes, and then we'll ask some of those questions if that's right. Nice. Okay, thank you. It's good to get some of those, uh, those questions. Um, they do come into two different categories, really, in terms of, sort of practicalities and, and what it looks like in terms of um, the situation in our area. One of the questions is, what does the situation of the 21 kids actually look like? Um, so that's particularly sort of a very practical thing about what's happening at the moment.
1: So what does the situation for them look like so essentially the the state has got a a duty of care to children to make sure that they are in some kind of placement now some of those children will be in what we call um short break placements so they'll be buying time for social workers um um, so they will be with a family which might be just for the weekend or for the next couple of weeks um, other kids will be in um, residential situations. It doesn't happen around here, but you might have seen some horrible stories for kids across the um, UK as well, who often have been put into unregulated homes or into, onto canal boats and things like that. Um, I'm really grateful that our local authority doesn't have those issues, or if anything is used like that, they're very well regulated and looked after. But the key part for each of these kids is unless they've got a long-term situation unless they've got something where they can connect in and have a relationship with a family long term the outcomes for those kids will always be will always go down because we need family don't we we need people that we can journey with and will love us through thick and thin and you know to to persevere and to kind of keep going so any kid that has just you know a few weeks and a few weeks and a couple of years and then a couple of years or in a few weeks it you know it the, the outcomes for those children go down because we need to have that loving identity and support from people. So, um, yeah, that's the reality of what it looks like for those kids at the moment until those until those homes are found.
0: Talking about homes being found, um, a couple of people have asked about um, what a family might look like for foster children. Um and particularly around what that yeah who can foster um, um does it have to be within a family or can single adults foster how how does it look like
1: yeah, you can be you can be all kinds of people There's there's, a, there's no I think the youngest is age twenty one you probably wouldn't want to do it before age twenty one anyway, um, but there is actually no official upper age limit I've, I've known some absolute powerhouses in their seventies who are still going for it and are on child number fifty, you know kind of supporting and loving kids. Um, so there's everyone you know in between that. Some people do it as family, like myself. You know, we were a four when we started. Single people can do it. Um, you don't have to own your own home. You could be in rented accommodation. You know, so there's a lot of flexibility. The only thing is with fostering in its regular types. And I mentioned one that we were just chatting about beforehand. That's probably worth mentioning about fostering families um, is that you do need to have a spare room, and that isn't because. Um, that's just a weird thing where they just want kids to have that uh, to have their own separate space or to put anything on you it's because actually anyone who lives inside a home you just you just need some space where you can go yourself sometimes you know like to get away things are hard enough if i had to sit in the same room as you or sleep you know in some other kid's bedroom it's just too tricky so that's the reason why the local authority um, will ask whether you've got a spare room or not. But that doesn't stop you, actually, fostering in its widest sense. There is a relatively new uh, type of fostering that can be done, which actually is kind of being pioneered in Bath at the moment. It's only about a year, 18 months in. And it's called fostering families. And so it could be the case where you have a real heart to serve people, but you can't foster in the ways that I've been talking about. But there are families which it looks like kids are going to be headed into care, but they're not quite there yet. Um, and actually, those families need fostering inside their own environment, and so you can come alongside them very holistically. You could teach life skill stuff, hang out with the kids, give parental advice, yeah, bring kind of light and love to people's families, but do it in their setting. Um, and so that's a that's a new type of fostering that's just kind of come up and hopefully the intention then is not only will that family feel loved and connected and maybe more connected to network and community like you because often people don't have those loving connections and healthy folk and network around them but also even better the kids don't end up going into care so they can stay with their birth family and the outcomes for those children will be much better
0: That ties in really well, actually, with um, another question that was asked, which was, can we sign up to be a long-term companion to a young person um, if we can't um, host them in our own home, Uh, to be that constant um, as they transition between multiple foster homes? You're saying that's that's a good route to go down in terms of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, what you're talking about there is talking about kids that are already in care. I mean, the, the difficulty with kids that move around a lot is you never know quite where they're going to be next. So they might even move out of the area, so keeping those relationships is tricky. But for me, doing that upstream work um, where we get to the crux of issues for families before maybe everything goes wrong, it could be a wonderful way of kind of giving. Um, but I do think if you know foster, if you know foster families, if you know even one foster family... Be really intentional about coming alongside that family because even though you might not be able to do it with the children, you can do it with those people who are doing the caring so you can you know every kid that will have a wonderful story of what happened inside that family, but you can't necessarily always navigate if a child moves five or six times in their life. it could be trickier, but you know possible but trickier
0: I guess some people might have considered this at different stages in my life and 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 perhaps been overwhelmed by the process um and what they've heard from other people maybe about what the process is like Um, what is it like for somebody to sign up to be a foster carer
1: yeah i mean it's um it's one of the reasons why i love doing this thing because i have i've done it myself Um, and so i get to journey with people who decide to go through the assessment process which hopefully hopefully i can add some value to and um, bring some kind of Um, bring some answers to as well it can be quite a um, an intense process but there's a very important reason for that Um, when um, uh, a social worker or the person who's going to journey with you through that assessment process sits down they're going to spend quite a long time with you getting a really good pen portrait of your life that's not just because they're nosy or want to poke and find all the stuff and the skeletons in your closet that's not the point of it They want to work out whether this is going to be a good road for you, whether this is going to be something which is going to work for you and your family. But more importantly, actually, all those things get used in terms of matching for children as well. Because if if a little one comes into care, they're going to work out what his needs are or her needs are. And then they're going to look at your family and say, would that match with the rhythms and the flows of how this family's life are? Um, Because what you don't need, nobody needs is another loss, another breakup, another difficulty for the children or for the foster placements. Now, just as I've testified, that doesn't always go according to plan, <laughs> particularly if you're speaking into trauma and saying you are worth loving, even whether you think you're not worth, you know, those, those there are elements of this that you can't quantify. But actually, we need to move as intelligently as we can when it comes to matching children with families or children with foster carers. So that's that's the reason why it can feel quite extensive, but there's an important reason for that
0: you talked about faith being important to you in terms of um your desire to be a foster parent um and also your work that you do and the organization you work for how do you balance that with um, your faith not being pushed onto the young person how do you how do you get that how do you get that balance between faith being important to you and in your inspiration yeah but not actually um being abusive with that
1: yeah i mean I think. Let me use that that example of Lisa again. For me, um, it, I was learning in my faith just as much as anything else. So, I I would wake up in the morning and think, I've got to choose love today, rather than you know. Rather than just feel it. So I was learning a lot myself on that. But it wasn't always a case of like, you need God in your life, or you need Jesus, or you need to repent, or you need, to, you know, all these things which so often can kind of be shrouded in the way that we would share faith. For me, it was just keep turning up, just keep loving, just keep accepting. Tell her that she's not the sum of her behavior, tell her that she's not the sum of what somebody else said about her. So very not vicariously but it was just how i think god used this stuff um just by doing day-to-day life by kept by keep turning up by keep saying that you're worth loving those things eventually she just couldn't you know she just couldn't um push away in the end and she also couldn't work out why all these other people who were nothing to do with her life kept investing in her but they were all motivated by their faith as well. You know, They were motivated, motivated by the fact that she was made in the image of God and that she needed uh, you know, to be connected um, through, through that exact thing. But they weren't pushing religion or faith on her. Um, they were just saying, this is where I'm coming from and when I look at you, I think that you're special and I think you're worth loving and I'm going to keep doing it and keep doing it. And eventually she was like, All right. <laughs>
0: And how are you viewed by the statutory organisations? Do, do they look in suspicion, or do they, are they, are they embrace the fact that you're coming from a faith perspective?
1: Well, like, like I said, you know, I work directly with the council, so we have a very deliberate and thriving um, a conversation, and you know, we're really upfront about where we come from. It's not subversive. We don't do it in the shadows. And the reason I'm sat doing things like this is because, and they know I'm doing things like this, you know, because actually. The church and believe, you know, and Christians, when, when, when we do this stuff, they, you know, that we can speak to that stuff of, of network. You know, the, the local authority know that people who are absolutely committed and are doing it for the right reasons and are doing it for the kids. And then those network, the, the, those people around those people are coming in there loving and loving and loving and doing the, you know, doing this stuff really well. They're like, yeah, I'll have some more of them. Um, because they know that it's, it, it's good. we are doing it for all the, all the right reasons. And actually, they're still working out what this faith business is about. But actually, to some extent, they don't really care. They're just thinking, well, it's great that actually people are doing this and they're doing it with the right heart.
0: You said you've seen teenagers, young people, come through the other end, um, become adults and look back on their experience. Yeah. Have you got any sto- stories of how people have reflected on their time um, in... Uh, it was as a part of a foster family um when they 've sort of got to that adult stage and looking back on the on the the commitment that they 've been given
1: yeah i mean i like i said i i uh, i mean i I try and bring things back to Lisa because i 've got that such a wonderful experience with her, albeit a very rocky journey at times but she she actually recently shared in Life Church with me um and she was challenging the entire congregation to say. Even though our behaviour looks like this, even though we say that we're not worth loving, everything in us is desperate to find this loving home, but we struggle to trust. We struggle to give ourselves to an adult again because we've been let down so many times. Um, you know and she could testify to that she really could and she was right there were so many losses in her life she was thinking why am I going to rely on somebody else again so it shows the bravery as well of kids that have come through the care system who can then reflect back and say actually we need it Uh, there's a lady in um, the home for good staff team who actually is head of London and Kent and she was care experienced she ended up in prison eventually and now she's full-on at, you know campaigning and getting foster carers in and she can look back and see where god has brought her through things and where families have invested in her and loved her so yet yeah, you do you, you know I, you do see it all over the place you know kids who have grown up and realized that actually they've they've met the families and the people that they needed to along the way um yeah and have been invested in and loved and it can change everything
0: Dave, it's great that you've been able to come here this morning, and we've been able to talk this way. I mean, it's great. it's good, isn't it, to be able to sort of have these discussions around pastries and and tea and coffee, etc. But actually, um, that reality of that stats, um, that one that really hit me was the sort of fifteen minutes every fifteen minutes somebody is looking for for care. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's great to be sitting around here with pastries and things like that. But actually, what do we practically do to make a difference I mean, what's the first step would you say what should we do as a first step
1: yeah i mean I, I would just say if you feel convicted on this in any in any which way in any way you want to get involved it could be the case that fostering and adoption is right for you and you kind of think yeah i've been pro i've been feeling prodded on this quite a lot i'd love to chat to you afterwards if you feel like you want to get involved in any other way around this entire kind of world of fostering and adoption again i'd just love to chat to you kind of connect you into the home for good network and um, we can continue the conversation
0: great thank you you're going to hang around for a bit so you yep. can um have a chat with dave afterwards if you would like to about um yeah anything that we've discussed this morning or <laughs> outside of that sure. um can i pray for you and um, for the organisation and for those um, children young people that you've got, you've you've uh, mentioned this morning and those who uh, are part of that statistic um it's always and i feel feel a bit uncomfortable talking about children young people as statistics but actually that yeah that, that's that is a reality as well, isn't it? Um, yeah. and, and so we pray for for that as well. So let's let's pray for you, loving God. We thank you for Dave coming to share with us today, and for the conviction that Dave and family felt um, to make a difference in this way. And we pray for the young people that have been positively affected through Dave's work with them through Dave's care for them and family's care for them And we thank you for the honesty as well of the difficult times as well and the challenges along the way and we pray for those young people those that presented the challenges we pray for them now as they've grown up further and what life looks like for them and we pray for all those young people who are looking for somewhere to belong. We ask you to be with each of those young people. We talk about statistics and we talk about that statistic of every 15 minutes. And whilst those are a good for us to focus on, We're mindful of the fact that, God, you know each of those individual people. They're not just a statistic to you. And so we pray for those young people, those children who are known by you and created in your image. And so, loving God, as we think about our response as a church to some of these things, May you continue to work in us as we think about what our commitment might be. So we thank you once again for allowing us to have this space to be able to think through some of these issues and what a more positive reading of the Bible looks like in terms of being a welcome place to people, an accepting place to people, a safe place for people. And we thank you that your love is big enough to embrace and be there for all. So be with us as we go about this week ahead of us and as we think through some of the things that we've discussed this morning. In our conversations, here and with family and friends throughout the week. Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.